Hey guys, it's Jack. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for uh, giving this thing a chance. I'm, I'm very excited about where it's going to go. If you want some more background on what it's going to be, listen to the teaser episode. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, I kind of break down in, in five minutes uh, what I plan to do with the podcast over the course of the next several, several weeks. Uh, just want to mention, too, you can get it at KLIN.com. Uh, you can also get it on Apple uh, Spotify, we're still working through some kinks on Spotify, but hopefully by the time you hear this, uh, you can get it on Spotify uh, or wherever you get podcasts. Let me know uh, if you're having any problems, and uh, make sure and like the Facebook page, the Jack Mitchell Podcast on Facebook, and uh, be able to keep up to date with what's going on. Uh, my guest today is Brett Lindstrom, uh, candidate for governor, and uh, going to be going up the GOP primary here in the next few weeks, and uh, we go a lot of places, so I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome to the Jack Mitchell Podcast once again. Yes, we are back after a, a long hiatus and uh, going to be weekly bringing on guests and my friends and, and uh, just talking about things that I'm interested in that don't really fit that, that morning drive format. And uh, let's get right to our guest today. Now, I usually start off these podcasts, you'll hear me kind of talking about the intersection of, of my life with my guest and... I don't. I don't believe I've taught. I don't. Unless I'm forgetting, I don't believe I've ever. I've ever talked to this guest before. Uh, although, uh, certainly know of him. Uh, he is. Uh, he has been a in the Unicam for a number of years, and uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen him on TV. I'm sure you've heard his name on the news because he is uh, now running for governor. So, welcome to the Jack Mitchell Podcast, Brett Lindstrom. Brett, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah. Good morning. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. I, I, Kind of surprised we haven't talked before. Yeah, it is. It's cr- you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be super honest with you. I have cut back. Like I I started my show in 2006, and I was you know I was hustling for interviews with with people in government and politics and all this stuff. And so this, this isn't about you personally at all. You weren't even. But like it is it is tough to find a non talking point like i want good interviews and 10 minute interviews with politicians and you've done plenty of them you probably know this but like <laughs> it can be tough to have good content when it comes to that i'm sure it's tough doing them too because you have to feel like you've got to get you know whatever talking points in and all these things that you want to get in but i don't know i pulled back on them a lot so it's nothing yeah, personal. 10, minutes, 10 minutes is pretty tough to especially with all the policy discussions and how much we have going on it's hard to relay all the things that are transpiring, not only the legislature, but campaign wise yeah. in 10 minutes, it's nearly impossible. Well, And like, there's an expectation among listeners, depending on where they are politically, like they want your, in, they want my interview to, to promulgate what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. And like, if yeah. they don't like the candidate, they want me to go after them. Right. And, and if yeah. they do, you know, they just, they just want to have the rah, rah thing. And, like, I've realized, one of the things I've realized, now this is about me, but one of the things I've realized is, man, you do not change minds with talk radio, you just, especially on the most importantly held issues. So I've, like, I've kind of gotten out of the changing minds business, um, and, and, and I think having discussions like this are just, like, a lot, are, are a lot more productive for a variety of reasons. So um, that's why I wanted to do it, yeah. Cause I yeah, don't, no, I, I don't think it's know. a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I think uh, you're right. I mean... A lot of times, I, on the, even on the campaign trail, just the meet and greets, I think, because I'll stand, you know, I'll do a 20-minute 
talk and then do Q and A for probably you know forty five minutes to an hour. And I think that's where you can really start to have that engagement and back and forth and discuss issues and people get a better sense of maybe where you're coming from, why you're doing what you're doing and the policy issues you're working on. And yeah, I would say it's a better format to uh, let, let someone get to know who, who a person is versus the, like you said, the 10 minute quick interview where people are talking in sound bites. Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, in your experience in the legislature and you know what you've done with Paul, do people ever change their minds anymore? Like, is, that, <laughs> that's a is, big question. is that a thing? Uh, it, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. I mean, there, there are certain black and white issues that you're probably never going to move on based on just pure partisanship on, on certain things or just, or just philosophical beliefs. Like super but, closely held things, right? Yeah. Super closely held. But there, especially in the legislature, there's a lot of gray. And on the economic side, taxation side, uh, there, there's a lot of gray. So you, you do have the ability to, to maneuver a little bit and find some common ground. Social issues, a little bit more difficult yeah. to do. Yeah. Is campaigning like wiping you out? I can't imagine. I mean, I know you're not going to say I'm exhausted. I'm tired of this, but I can't. Well, imagine. And, and it's, no, it, it's, it's, a, it's a grind. There's no doubt about it. It's uh I've been doing it since July 15th every day since that day. And I think I mentioned we've done, this is my third interview today already. And it's just a little <laughs> afternoon. So it, it's busy. I've been to all 93 counties. I've been to 130 different you know villages and towns and communities across the state, but this is my fourth campaign in 10 years. So I knew what I was getting involved in. I'd been through it before. And even when I was running in the, previous times for legislature, I'd knocked on 10,000 doors. You kind of work backwards in a sense, you know, you, you go from the end date and then try to schedule out what you can do from the start to the end, but you, you almost work backwards on the time. But it, I don't know. I'm, I'm energized. I think every day we're in the home stretch. We have 38 days to go. Uh, and I'm energized based on the feeling, the momentum. If it was, if it wasn't going well, it'd be much more difficult to say, the, but it's going really, really well. So every day I wake up and every day is better than the last. So it, it energizes me to keep going. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I haven't seen any polling or anything, but it does. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's going well. I, I it just my sense of being in the news, the news media right now. I don't think this thing plays out and and, you know, the commercials are all over, but uh, yeah. it, it does feel like there's some momentum there. You guys feel that? Yeah, and it's every it's it's really it's palpable. It's, you know, you, you lay down the fr groundwork or. I, one of the things I wanted to do before we ever get up on TV and you know, being born and raised here, I know, and I have family that are in smaller communities, smaller towns across Nebraska and showing up is a big part of that and having, you know, most people in the community, even if they don't show up to the meet and greet, everybody in town knows that you were there. And part of my campaign process was to make sure I could be everywhere across the state, humanly possible, obviously. But so they could either have the opportunity to meet, talk about issues, read about me in the local paper, uh, parades, all that stuff before we ever got up on TV. I didn't want my first introduction to be on TV to the extent that I could. Yeah. And we were able to accomplish that. And then we went up on TV and AFC, NFC games were the first commercials that we ran. Yeah, I remember we that. Yeah. Pretty consistently. Uh, but, you know, in, part, in most people back in November, December, even January, the the race is a little bit off the radar you know people have husker games and super bowl and school and you know there's holidays and a lot of different stuff so 
I think most people are starting to pay attention now. They were maybe a month ago, and that's really when they started to pick up a lot of steam. And, and I just get emails and calls every day. I mean, Facebook, uh, people message, uh, message me about putting up yard signs, and we're just getting yard signs and 4 by 8 So just a ton of that. And I really like where we're positioned moving in the last 38 days. Okay, so when you're going to one of these meet and greets or you're going, I don't know, door-to-door when you've campaigned in the past or, or whatever it is, is there – What's the most common, I don't even mean the most common issue, but like the most, is it usually that somebody's got one thing that they're like hyper-focused in on that they want to talk about, or are they just excited to meet you, or what are the different like genres of those interactions with voters that you have? Well, door-to-door, I don't know if they're always excited to meet me, because sometimes there's people on different shifts at work, or they have a a baby or something and you're ring the doorbell and upset you know, like some I'm never, situation. Brett, I'm never under, uh, excited when someone rings my doorbell. Like well, there's I, no, no right, scenario exactly. where like, Oh boy, excited. Unless it's a package or something like yeah. there's no scenario where you know, like, this is going to be a good thing. So <laughs> I would That's never so true. And so I, I try to make it the least, uh, I don't know, not threatening, but invasive. When I go to the door, I'd have a, you know, a badge on or name badge that said Brett Lindstrom either state senator or candidate, mm-hmm. and then I'd have my palm card, and I'd kind of smile and show it. So it didn't look like I was selling anything other than myself. Um, and usually people came to the door, and then they, then they appreciate that you showed up. But I'd say, no, eight, eight times out of ten, people are just happy that you were there. I think the two or the ten times, there was probably a one issue that, that they would come up with and or want to talk about. And then most of the time, it was related to taxes, particularly property taxes. Huh. But I, I would have a 15-second, you know, talk, and they come to the door. I say, hi, I'm Brett Lindstrom, a Renegade State Senator. Here are three issues I'd work on your behalf, and then I'd ask what's important to them. And nine, eight, eight or nine times out of uh, ten, they really wouldn't have an issue, but they appreciate that I show up. And then you go to the next door, next door 10,000 times, and it was always a different conversation, and that was what was fun. The, the governor's race, I'm not doing as much door-to-door. Sure. So it's more meet and greets with a room of five to 50 people. And then I'll, I'll talk and then the Q&A, they'll ask me uh, questions. But most of it in the last eight months has been more about what you're reading in the paper, more timely issues than maybe overarching themes. So it just depends. I mean, door to door, I got a few questions on equine. I got in-home birthing. That was one thing that I... Uh, didn't know much about, but that was a question that I got that kind of stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> like, right? Like, you've got to you got to be able to talk about the the issues generally, like like that, because you're going to have an expert perhaps on that single issue that yeah. they're interested yeah. in. Well, uh, that's part of the that's part of the campaign process too. Is that I, I'm not going to be an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. Nobody can be, but you you learn a lot of stuff along the way. Yeah, you learn. Uh, you know, some people, it's, some of those issues are very important to them. And so you, you get a good sense of how they feel about it, what they want to see done. And then you can incorporate that into a, a thought process of how do you actually accomplish a solution to it or find an avenue that helps them or connecting them in the right, connecting dots for them. So it became a little bit easier on the second go around when I ran for reelection, because then I had a better understanding of a lot more issues. And I could actually help people as an elected official. So that was kind of that was the nice thing about re-election versus election. Sure. Let me yeah. let me ask you this question. Like, you know, you see campaign commercials, you see the things that 
all of you guys are bringing up. And like, there's a part of me that's like, man, they're camp, they're campaigning. And I know it's a Republican primary, but they're campaigning to like a really monolithic voter. Like it is, I can see the voter that they're campaigning to. Is the state really, are the Republicans in the state at least really that monolithic? And that would be kind of the 10,000 foot view too, I think, from people who look outside. How, how monolithic, how similar are, are there? Or do you see like a wide variety of, of sort of levels of interest in politics, levels of interest in certain issues and, and beyond? Yeah, it, dep- it depends on where you go. Yeah. Uh, it is what, so in Valentine, uh, uh, when you talk about, say, the beef industry, and they want to see, want to see country of origin labeling, uh, property taxes are a big issue, and then independent processing is one of those things. McCook uh, water issues came up quite a bit. Uh, Kimball, we were out and we we're talking about kind of missile silos and Department of Defense coming in and doing what? some things there. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Omaha is. A little bit more. I said, no matter where you go, property tax is the is the thing that people talk about as far as taxes the the most, and that really doesn't matter. That's not really an urban rural thing. Uh, education is is a thing that comes up quite a bit, and that really does relate to property tax. But yeah, those those issues. But yeah, it depends on the groups that you're meeting, where you're at, where you're at, and what's relevant to them in their everyday life. And again, it, it helps doing those things because you get a good sense of what you need to do as an elected official, either as a state, state senator or running for governor and or being governor. And um, so it, it makes you a better, better candidate, better policymaker as a whole, just doing those things because you're representing a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different walks of life. And it, I don't really look at it through the lens of, say, Republicans necessarily, because even independents and Democrats in the state of Nebraska are, are pretty conservative when you think about the national politics um and and there are you know there's everybody that fits on this on the spectrum of, of even the republican side there's a lot of different levels of republican um yeah you know you got your kind of traditional republicans you got trump uh, republicans you have um some more moderate ones some that are more more business focused some that are more um social issue oriented you know pro-life second amendment I was doing fish fries last night and I was at a fish fry. And so you kind of get a, a different group. There's one that asked about medicinal cannabis, one that asked about second amendment, one asked about law enforcement. Um, you know, it just depends on their background of what's important to each individual. Is the job of how good of a, uh, let me see how I phrase this question, right? The job of campaigning, the, the, the need to appeal to people to get to vote for you. And I know you haven't been governor yet, but you're hoping to be, and you've got an idea of what that job is, and you've run for legislature. Is that job of campaigning a good, um, a, 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 a good I don't know, preparation? But like representation, the messages that we get in campaign. Like, I, here, here's how you know I'm 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 seeing you guys, you and you and Pillen and and Herbster and, and Thibodeau and and the other people who are running. Like, I'm seeing TV commercials, and the TV commercials have a lot of the or radio commercials in in my field like how good of a representation of is those stances on the issues on who's going to do the best job as as governor in this case i not not great <laughs> not great <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I agree pretty, i'm glad you, you said three, that 30 seconds yeah no you have 30 seconds to uh get those ads out and i think 
and I can't speak for the other campaigns, but I think you can tell where their messaging, where they're trying to go with what they're trying to represent and tap into a certain base, right? I don't think it's any surprise with the Trump endorsement for Herbster that that's, that's his path, right? He, he, all of his mailers, all the TV, he talks about that a lot. So he's going to run ads that are more geared that way. Um, as a state senator and, and somebody who's actually worked on policy, we're trying to incorporate that experience and the positive things that we've done into our message. And then you, you also try to, you also try to, in 30 seconds, convey what's the brand? What are you trying to represent? And I think for Mars, it was, and this wasn't necessarily something I came up with. It was more about the feedback that I received when we first started to travel was people liked the experience that I had because I could talk about the issues. I've talked about the bills that I passed. And then people liked the fact that I was kind of a next generation person, a younger person. And that that was always a very positive thing as I went out. So you couple the experience and, and the age, it tend, tended to get people's interests a little bit. And there's been a lot of good things that we've done over the last eight years. So we were able to kind of run on, on the actual substance. So we're keeping our message more Nebraska-based versus national issues. There's not a lot of things that I've seen from from maybe some of the other guys that a governor can do, but they're definitely tapping into a an emotional right. uh, feeling that people have. Right. So it, it's it's a difference. But campaigning and doing the job are are very very different. Very different. Yeah. Um, you can, you can talk a big game and not be able to get any of it done, right? I mean, you can promise a lot of different stuff and not get any of it done. And I think that's, what's nice about ours is that we have an eight year tracker of actually showing that we have gotten stuff done. And so people ask, well, what's the difference between you guys? Well, I think from a Republican standpoint, we have a lot of similarities in pro second amendment, pro life, a lot of the social things and, and, uh, the thing that you try to do is distinguish yourself or separate yourself from those other individuals. And so that's what we're talking about more. And, and, you know, there's, I don't know how many registered Republicans there are in the state, but I think it'll be around 65,000 votes needed to, to win in the primary and probably around 31, 32% of the, the base. So you're not, you know, you're not getting all the Republicans. You're going to get 30, a third of the Republicans and all those Republicans maybe sit on the political spectrum differently so, you know, there are some scientific things that you try to do with polling to figure out, well, what are the three or four or five big issues that people are thinking about right now? And um, you may message things a little bit differently and then things change. And then where you're at in the political process or the campaign process in the home stretch might be different than what you did four or five months ago. Yeah. So there is a scientific aspect of it, but then there's also a, a branding or messaging that you, you want to convey to the public as a whole. It's interesting. I asked that question because I see mainly some of the other ads uh, for the other folks. And, and I'm like, and I feel like this in Nebraska a lot of times. And I'm not, I'm not really, uh, some people, people tell me all the time I'm way far right or I'm right far left, which is weird. I get both of those. But <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a registered independent, but I like feel like, I feel like there's nobody ever campaigning to me in like any race who I am like, yeah. uh, you know, a 40 something. I live in Lincoln. I have a, a, sh a radio show on a, a con generally conservative station, but I try and stay out of a lot of that stuff. I'm a pastor's kid, but I'm in, you know, I'm I, I there's and I just I feel like whatever I'm in <laughs> is not a target audience of of uh 
of candidates in Nebraska. And, and, and I bring that up because I think part of it is they're talking about these national flashpoint things. And, man, I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm, I'm so burnt out. I'm so burnt out on, on the culture war national, you know, stuff. But I also know that wins elections. Like, so well, that's, that's the hard that's part. part. Yeah, and that's like, part of the thing. There's certain, you know, I, I see them too. And trust me, I, you, I know I'm kind of part of the problem when it comes to those ads. When, when we're running positive ads, but I know people go like, oh, I'm so sick of seeing ads. And I, I, I totally get that. You know, you're walking a fine line between getting your message out, getting your name ID out, or at least letting people know who you are. And uh, also the onslaught of every single day, you're seeing all these ads. And I know by the end of it, people are ready to turn off the TV. Um, it's just kind of part of the deal. But one of the things that we try to do, and what I told the staff originally, is that I don't, I don't, I'm not going to run any negative ads. I don't want to do it. I don't think that it serves a purpose, and it's just not how I want to present myself. Because ultimately, we're all our names are all attached to to campaigns, mm. no matter good or bad or whatever it might be. So I think about it in terms of. You know, I have three young kids, and so I go, well, what is, what is the message that I'm leaving? What are people going to remember the Lindstrom name, and will that hurt or help my kids in the sense of, well, your dad said this about somebody. He's a bad guy. You know, he's being negative. I just didn't want to have that element involved. And I know that each and every one of us, we're never going to satisfy 100% of, every, 100% of people's feelings, beliefs. And so one of the things I just – I just uh, go out and I, I, people ask me questions. I just tell them the truth. And if they like it, great. That's great. If they don't like it, then that's okay too. I mean, we're not going to ha- agree on everything. And if you can get to 80%, fantastic. But even, even work in the legislature, yeah, I feel like I've worked with every single Senator down there, no matter where they sit on the political spectrum. And it might be that we disagree on 90% of it. We can find one thing. There's, there's always one thing. Mm. And I feel like I've been able to do that. So when, when, Part of the campaigning process, too, is I didn't want to give the send the message that I'm going to run a negative campaign. And so when we get done with May, we win. How do people feel about me and actually doing the job? If I've been out there throwing people under the bus and talking negatively, then why would anybody trust me to have their best interest in mind if I'm trying to actually do stuff going into January? Right. That's part of it, too. I didn't. It's just not what I wanted the message to be from our our side of things yeah. and i can't control those others like things, i'm but, I'm, re- I'm resigned to the fact i mean and it's reality that i'm not ever going to have the people i vote for agree with me on everything but like at this point i'm just looking for people who aren't weirdos <laughs> like i mean like i know it's i know yeah well, like about politics and about like just like way way crazy stuff like somebody that i feel like i could because here's the thing brett in my life in lincoln okay my group of today I'll interact with friends and family and people I know, and they will be all over the political spectrum. And I don't think any of them are evil or terrible or trying to ruin America. Like, but that's my life. That's most of our lives here. Like that's reality, but politics acts like it's, it's not our reality. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? I definitely, I mean, my friends are all over the political spectrum and I, I think most people just want somebody reasonable. Um, and I think that's where I feel like we're getting a lot of support is that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm a reasonable person that can sit down and talk about things in a rational way, in a civil way. Yeah. And it's the way that I, again, wanted to present. Um, but people just, we're all in this together. And 
Nebraska is unique in the, in the sense, and this is one of the things that's been fun about campaigning is no matter where I go in the state, I find somebody either that I'm related to or that knows somebody that I know or related right. to. I mean, it's, it's wild. I mean, no matter where I've gone. Um, and so it, you don't burn, you don't burn bridges in Nebraska. That's for sure. Because uh, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, you can throw boomerangs, right? You can throw positive boomerangs out or negative boomerangs right. out. And at one, at some point they're, they're going to come back to you either good or bad and oftentimes bigger than how you threw them. Right. So that is part of the deal. And, and I have, you know, I have my own ideas and vision for what I want to accomplish for the state of Nebraska, but not everybody feels that way or views it that way. And, and so I've tried to remove the politics out of the policy decision-making and gear it more towards the people aspect of it and trying to understand what motivates somebody, what drives somebody. You may not like a state senator, and I get it. You know, some, some people get on the mic and you're just sitting there screaming at the TV and people tell me all the time. But they also had enough people that voted for them in their district to elect them. And I don't think they would have taken time out of their, out of their life to walk 10,000 doors or more if they didn't believe in what they believed and didn't want to do something for Nebraska. You might disagree with that, with that something, but in their mind, they're trying to do it the right you know, they're trying to do the right things. And there was enough people that believed in those things to elect them. So to me, it's, it's going, well, if I can't get along with you, it's, it's a me problem, not a you problem. And if you can come in with a different viewpoint of saying, well, you're Democrat, therefore you're bad. And, or saying, here's what we're trying to accomplish together to make Nebraska a competitive state in a lot of different areas. How do we accomplish that goal? And if you can't agree with me on this policy, is there something outside of that that we can talk about that maybe you stay neutral on the things that I want? And so building those coalitions is, is vital. And I feel like over the last eight years, I've been able to, to do that. And, and I think that's what most Nebraskans want. They don't like to see people fight for, for over just things that really sometimes we don't have control over. Like, I think so. But like, then there's a part of me that I, there's such a sort of vicious war like going on politically between the right and the left, and I feel like you got to be too careful not to get too uh, be too friendly with uh, potentially friendly, even when you disagree with them the other side, because the people who think they're the enemy and that like that's part of winning the election too is you got to keep those people, especially in a primary. So it's it, like yeah, it's tough, and that's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference between the world of actually doing the job and a campaign, right? Which was my the first question. Campaign is very much. Um, much more like what you described, the actual job itself to actually to accomplish things. It, it's uh, more of a scalpel approach than a than a sledgehammer. Uh, and that's just been my experience over the last eight years. Um, but no, you're right. And there's a there's a whole industry that is that is in place to stir that up. And they make a lot of money doing it. Yep. A lot of money. Yep. I'm working on that. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but seriously, though, I'm working. I mean, I've been I, 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 um, I've been doing the show at KLIN for 16 years and uh, up and down the station has been national, you know, quote, unquote, conservative talk. Um, yep. But like I've been I've been doing a show. First of all, you're not going to win. I'm, I don't maybe it's like an election, but I'm not going to win ratings wars if I've got a, a, a kind of a niche audience like I need. I want to be number one in the city, yeah. and yeah. I got to have people. It's Lincoln, Nebraska. It's 50-50, right? 
for the right. most and part. It's got to be entertaining. Yeah, and it's got to be entertaining. And it's also got to be fun. And it's also got to make people. And so, like, for a while, I mean, for a while in the industry, everybody was like, yeah, you know, you got to be, you know, who you got to be in, in talk radio if you do that. And it turns out you don't. Like, you don't, but there was so much groupthink that that was the only way you could do it for so many years that I don't think anybody bothered to to try something different. And so, I'm, I'm having fun. Yeah, oh. and that's and I think about it in the in that in the world of kind of the perceived politics is is uh, you know you got the industry that that pushes that to divide people and but when you're actually talking about law and you're talking about things that affect everyday lives, it, in my mind, it's very you know you don't want to play politics on the backs of people. There's too many consequences of too many big things there's too much impact on every individual in everyday lives to play politics on the backs i get it from a entertainment standpoint or even from a campaign standpoint but when when people are when we're making decisions as policymakers both senators and, and as governor you um that influences everyday life and it's important to think about all aspects of that versus just what's going to score you some, you know, political shots here and there. Uh, Cause this stuff is important when you start getting into the actual policy itself and how it, how it affects people. Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is interesting because my first two, the reboot of this podcast, you're one of my first two interviews. The other one, um, and I don't know what order they're going to air, so people are hearing this may have heard one of the other first, but... Uh, I'm also doing uh, Josari Qual, who's running for the House uh, for Fort Mary's old seat, and he's a he's a Democrat. He's a very young guy. Uh, he's a he's a journalist. Uh, he's uh, his um, he's an African American. He was um, documenting and and to a degree part of the Black Lives Matter protests. And and I'm telling you what, I'm, that one I've already done, and now I'm having this conversation. And I can tell you what, both of the people who come in. I, I think, but both you and him coming in these interviews, there are going to be people who are going to be determined, bound, and determined to say I, that person sucks. That if they listen to an hour conversation, they're going to feel a little bit differently about that. And like that's the that's the problem right now. That that that's a problem that we don't we don't have enough of these uh, situations. And, and I want to move on to some other things though. Uh, how do you react to that? So I'm born in 1997. So you and I are roughly same generation. If you are elected governor, you are going to be the first mayor governor or president i've ever been older than that i'm under which is <laughs> which I, I think is yeah a very, i never I, thought about it that way <laughs> I, think that is a, a, I think that's yeah. good I, listen i think i know i haven't checked your uh page i think larian no offense larian i think you still have me by a few years age wise so 
I think you would uh, you would be the first one. Which is interesting because I'm going to my kids' conferences and stuff now, and my kids' doctors. Like it's a weird moment that eventually happens that people are getting yeah, younger. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean by that. I when my because uh, I grew up with some of my friends who are now you know doctors and they're important, do a lot of things, and I'm sitting there like I you know I've. I've seen you in some situations before. Yeah. I don't know. Same, same. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, but it, yeah, that's just the way that it goes. At some point you get to an age you're going, huh? you know, we're, we're in the position that's, positions that we're in. Now, I had somebody come up to me. I guess I didn't realize. Um, so I was born in, you know, 1981. And uh, so you're an ex-millennial. You're, ex you're on, you're on yeah, the Yeah, I'm kind of an, I just still, I don't know if it's a millennial or whatever that gap is. How do you identify? 77 to 83. <laughs> Well, it's so the seventy-seven to eighty-three, which is like you grew you grew up with no technology, but then you had technology. Yeah. Hold on, was your uh, first internet in college or in high school? So that would probably I'd have been, been in high, high school. school, like nineteen ninety-five or right. six. It was like you know Netsca Netscape, Netscape, Metacrawl, Prodigy. Yeah. See, I, I had America Online at home for yeah, like one year. That's what we had. But the first time I had high-speed internet was college, and I there was there were no cell phone. Nobody had a cell phone in. No, I just had a piece of paper with all my friends. Yeah, me too. Right. I think actually my parents still have an AOL.com as their. <laughs> I, know some people, I know some people who still have those or Hotmail. I have a yacht. I have a Yahoo, and I get a bunch of grief about that. Hotmail is the other one. Hot. <laughs> Let me tell you a hilarious story, real quick. You're going to get a kick out of this, I think. So I I went to law school. I clerked at the attorney general's office, and uh, one of my buddies and I we both went in for an interview. Stenberg was the attorney general. It was right before. The changeover and uh stenberg's looking at the resume of my buddy and he's looking he's got the top he's got his email at the trust at the top and he goes hot mail what exactly is that like he thought it was something controversial <laughs> we still joke about it to this day hot yeah. mail what is that i don't know it's just uh, yeah there's there's something even in politics that th there's some draw for me <laughs> and maybe this isn't sure there's some draw for me to people who are there's a lot of old people in politics, right? And and that's good in a lot of cases. But at some point, you know, I'm interested in seeing w what the next generation is going to be like as leaders. Yeah. Well, yeah, and time moves on. So, it's some, you know, somebody in our generation is at some point going to be, uh, or they currently are really across the country. But uh, I think I would be the first uh, governor elected that would be born in the 80s. That would across the country. Okay. Across um, the country, really? Right. I think uh, the younger, from what I, someone was telling me, looking at the the ages, I think vast majority of the younger ones were born in the late seventies. I think it'd be the first like one born age. in the eighties. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Like, it, I mean, I'm 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 glad we would have a uh, potentially a governor who like knows who Pearl Jam is or, or something oh, like that. Oh, you're but, talking yeah. now. Did you? How much did you research on me on that? Because Pearl Jam is my. Favorite. None. I didn't. I, literally none. I did. I did the. I asked my wife out at a Pearl Jam concert. Seriously? Where? That was for, for Astro, so at Mid America Center. Oh man, I, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. Okay, huge. so 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 I went. Uh, yeah, I mean, see, yeah, this is our. See, this is the thing. We this is a conversation. <laughs> uh, Mid, Mid America Center. You asked your wife out to the concert or at the concert? At, at the concert. At the concert. You so we went to high school together. She was a freshman as a senior so that's you know obviously a little bit the gap there is a little yeah, wide but um so then she went to kansas university and i was at nebraska finishing up and my brother and her were friends and i was i was kind of going on the pearl jam tour so i was in uh 
Kansas City for a concert. Then I was going to Mid-America and I was going up to Fargo and I was going to St. Paul. So on the second stop, we were, me and my buddy were kind of tailgating outside the Mid-America and she was there with my brother's group of friends and I uh, was recently single and so and I found out she was and I was like, eh, go up and ask her out. So I asked her out and then I got back off of the Pearl Jam tour and that was our first date back in 2003. Really? But I, yeah, that was one of the first concerts back uh, at the um, amphitheater down in Bonner Springs. Yeah. Saw him yep. back and the yield. Oh no, it, uh, it wasn't no code. It was yield, the okay. yield uh, tour. But yeah. yeah, I've been. I was actually just listening to the album before we got on this. Which one? Which one? Uh, actually, it's the new Eddie Vedder. Um, oh, the new. Okay, uh, Earthlings. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet. I heard. I heard. An, I heard an interview with him on the Smartless podcast about it. So I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, it's good. They have Stevie Wonder plays on it. They have Ringo Starr plays on it. Yeah, he talked he, about Ringo. Yeah, yeah, the drummers, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and. Uh, so it's kind of a it's a pretty eclectic group of uh, musicians that are on his solo album. And then I just saw Pearl Jam and working on an album this year. Were you there here when they came to Lincoln? Uh, what I was at that show. What fourteen, fifteen? They came to Lincoln a few years ago. Definitely. Did I go the to PBA? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I was there. I was there. The I've been. I've seen him numerous times. Actually, one of one, our first anniversary, I went and saw Eddie when he did the kind of the ukulele. Yeah. Uh, album. We flew to Chicago, and uh, so yeah, I'm a okay. So, what's your top? So, I'm like I'm torn. I, for some reason, like corduroy is my always yeah. go to for me. Um, I, I I don't know what's your uh, like what's your number what's your most played Pearl Jam song? Oh, it probably that depends so on the mood, but like if they still had the play counts like they used to on iTunes, it kind of have to be based on the album, I think. Um, so like. See, this is how much so song so Corduroy's song eight on Vitalogy. <laughs> I can almost tell you. Which people don't like that. People don't like that album. They like what? Well, I, I, think mean, it's, I think it's great. But I mean, after because ten, they weren't big yet. Of course, they weren't big yet. And I even heard an interview with Eddie where he was like, you know, I felt like to some degree in the second and third albums, we felt like we needed to. I don't think they're bad, but like I just he wrote a lot. He wrote a lot of the other the, the songs on Vitalogy. It's when they started to kind of separate a little bit, and they came back uh, more cohesively. I think on No Code and Yield, but uh, yeah, I, I, I saw in the, some of the interviews where they uh, that was a, a little bit bumpy road at that time yeah. with yeah. the Vitalogy album. Isn't it crazy how the, the, like when the uh, um, when uh, the Foo Fighters drummer died um just last weekend and it was like and like chris cornell passed away it was like like uh, the cobain thing obviously is something Lane that Staley. happened during our youth and staley um and and um uh allison chain yeah lane staley uh, and all those guys and, and it's like you felt like they got through that era um and and over some of those demons whether they were drugs or like mental health like that was really when i, when I read about taylor hawkins i was like oh man that is just yeah. to see them. It, it, you kind of feel like they've got through that that time. I don't know. Yeah, that hit it, like weirdly hard for me last weekend. It, well, it, it's just yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's wild to think of that era, which to me is the best time in music for yes. growing up. I mean, obviously, when, I was yes. in middle school and obviously. and high school, but Eddie Vedder is like the last lead singer from that right. the most popular ones is still alive that's it's it's wild scott wyland yeah i mean another right one. right stone Temple pilots right yeah 
Uh, cra- uh, crazy. Um, well, yeah, I could talk. I mean, that may be for another podcast. We'll I could talk Pearl Jam. Yeah, for yeah, we'll do it. Again. Hours. Were, you born, were you born in Lincoln? <laughs> I was born there? in Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then in what? Saint Elizabeth. Family moves to. That's where my uh, where my son was born. No, what yeah. family moves to Omaha when you were what? How old? Uh, actually, we moved to Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa, for one year when I was four. Four, so I did uh, just a preschool for maybe half a year, a year there, and then we moved to Omaha in nineteen eighty six or seven. Okay, and then we moved uh, to Des Moines for one year. My dad's job, uh, nineteen ninety. Oh my gosh, you guys were all over when you were little. Yeah, it didn't see, you know, it was such a one year, to, in, you know, in Cedar Rapids, one year in Des Moines. But from what I remember, Omaha is kind of my yeah. home. It's what I remember the most. And so that's where I grew up is uh, in Omaha. So you went to Millard, Millard, Millard area. You went to Millard West, right? For all yeah. of high school? I did. Yeah, it was the first year. My freshman year was when it opened. Okay, I had uh, to be. I was thinking, I was like, was it even open back then? But yeah. Yeah, so kind of funny about that. My my principal ended up being a colleague of mine as a state senator. So uh, Senator Kalowski or Rick Kalowski or Dr. K is what it used to call him in high school. So when I first got elected, I got – and he, we sat in the chamber. I didn't know what to call him, you know? Like, hey, hey, Rick, you know, you don't call your teachers by their right. first name. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> – right. It was a bad – and his son was uh, my center uh, in high school. Uh, and then even in college, it was at Nebraska as well. So it, this is when I say Nebraska is one degree of separation. It's right. One degree you go, yeah. So that was kind of funny. When you were, West. when you were uh, playing football at Millard West, like I know these new schools get going, like Lincoln's starting a couple of new high schools. I remember when, when did you guys just get completely kicked around early? Or were there a bunch of people? Oh yeah. Sports yeah. Well, I was a freshman. So the, the freshman team went Oh, and nine or whatever it was. Yeah, always happens. Or not the freshman team, but the, um, the se- the varsity team, right? right. No, no, there's no other seniors are leaving to go play at Miller. Well, West. yeah, like so, the new Lincoln schools are just going to start with juniors. They're not even going to have seniors, right? Exactly. So, but our but our second year we went to the playoffs, and then the third year went to the playoffs again. I, I got in a few games my sophomore year, played against uh, Carney and Papillion and Millard North, and then uh, junior year we made the playoffs, didn't get very far. But then that my senior year went we made a state championship versus Lincoln Southeast and they were, they were back-to-back champions that year. So they won the prior, the prior year and then beat us in the title game. Don't tell me. I went to East. Okay. I went to (laughs) East and it was not a good football era. I played football, Brett. It was not a good football era because Southeast was a juggernaut. They 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 had, I was told Brett, I still don't know if this is true. Uh, but I was told that they would have seniors who were only practice players that didn't even suit up for games. I still don't know if that's true or not, but that's they were just they were killing everybody. We were we we won our first game in 1995. Okay, we uh, we beat uh, Omaha Bryan, and Riley Jane Hamilton ranks us number nine in the state. Okay, one and zero, riding high. And then we <laughs> and then no, no yeah. kidding, we lose our next eight games. We finish the season one and eight. And so but, I'm well. At least you're one to know for a for a moment uh, <laughs> and ranked. So was the uh, was the thought always the hope to play college football somewhere? Were there opportunities to go somewhere smaller? Uh, just tell me about the process because that would have been what yeah. 99 the Solich, uh, the Solich. Yeah, so Solich era. Yeah, it was. It's kind of one of those things. I didn't. I didn't give too much thought about where. 
Well, I guess I'll back up. When I was a freshman in high school, I was pretty undersized. So I didn't, I didn't even make the freshman A team. I was on the B team my freshman year. It was called the B team bombers. We were in the Wildcats. By the way, we broke and, our freshman up by heavyweights and lightweights. That's how they broke it up. <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, I was a little, I was a smaller guy and I, uh, I didn't know I was going to make, I mean, it was my dream to play at Nebraska, but things weren't really tracking the right way as a freshman. And then I worked hard over over that, you know, going into my sophomore year, ended up being the backup to the starter quarterback and ended up getting in a couple games that season and and, and then um, was a quarterback my junior year. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be a quarterback in college. I was more of a, you know, the, an option quarterback versus a drop back passer, which, you know, at the time was good for Nebraska. But I had, you know, I had some other places offer. I I got I was getting calls from Air Force Academy, and I just thought about that a little bit. New Mexico stakes. We had some Nebraska ties yeah. there. My dad, uh, my dad played in the late seventies, and then my two uncles played as well. So it was, in my mind, it was Nebraska or nothing from mm-hmm. at a young age. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, had a, had a good career at Millard West, and and uh, went to the Shrine Bowl, and it was funny because I switched my senior year. I ended up playing running back and safety so I could play both sides of the ball. We were a two-platoon system so I, as, as a quarterback. So I switched, and that was the year we played Lincoln Southeast. And we uh, – I, I, I think I set the school rushing record that year um, from as a running back. And then Shrine Bowl, they, they actually asked me to play quarterback in the Shrine Bowl. I wasn't playing played running back. Yeah. So they go, well, we need a, we need a backup quarterback. I said, well, yeah, we'll we'll go do that. And I ended up starting, uh, beating the guys out and starting and being a captain of the Shrine Bowl. And then came in at Nebraska as a, a walk-on uh, receiver. And they ended up switching me to quarterback the following year. So I broke my foot my freshman year. Well, I, I broke it prior to that. I broke it on the 200 meters in the district track meet. So I was yeah. out. Came back, played in the Shrine Bowl with a screw in my foot, uh, went into spring, wasn't completely healed. I was running down on punt coverage, broke it again, so they had to take the screw out, put it back in. Then they switched me to, to quarterback, and anyway, that that's kind of how well, I yeah, got. It was a lot of different positions to get to where I was. So I didn't – like, I remember you – I remember when you said you were running for the house the first time the name came up, and I've got it kind of in an encyclopedic not memory of, of Nebraska players. And so I was like – all right, remember, you know, he's a quarterback. He's a walk-on quarterback. I pulled up your page on Huskers.com, and it's got you switching, like, even at Nebraska, like, three times. It's got you listening yeah. to the defensive back for a year. Is that yeah, right? So my, I don't even so remember I, that. Yeah, so it happened. Uh, I had Coach Gill approach me after – it was kind of summer going into my junior year. So I had, I had played – what for how many games? So total at quarterback, I played five games. A uh, and M, Rice, Baylor, Kansas. Um, got in a few of those games, and you know I wanted to play more, obviously. But you're behind Eric Crouch and Jamal Lord. You're just yeah. not going to get in too much. Yeah. So we, I talked to Coach Gill and said, "Hey, is there an opportunity to to move positions?" And I had a good uh, spring, so I, I moved to safety and. They had a good spring. They were going to put me on the depth chart with the Bullocks brothers. And I'm going into the first day of practice in the fall. And I am um, covering Wilson Thomas and he makes an out route and I'm backpedaling to cut and I cut and I break the other, my other foot oh my in the same exact spot. 
so I have two to this day, I have two screws in my feet and, and I came back after that, I was out for, well, basically the season. Um, but I remember coach Gill, you know, when I had a good seat, he just goes, we think you can be one of our top 11 guys in the field, but you're going to have to look at maybe a different position. So that's kind of how that happened. Then uh, long story short, I was back at quarterback my senior year and finished out my career like that. But, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting, all the ups and downs and I did not, I, I just didn't remember all the other that you were listed. I just thought you had been a quarterback the entire way through. I didn't remember the position changes that, that happened in there. So like, so those early, so when you were in, when you were healthy and you were playing quarterback, yeah. there were some guys on those defenses that I'm thinking like, if you were what, like you probably got to know Kyle Vandenbosch pretty well. And, oh uh, yeah. Very upfront and personal with Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. You want to talk about intimidating. So I, I was, uh, that would have been early in my career yeah. as a, like a scout team guy. And the scout team quarterback, you go against the black shirts. Yeah, right. That's so you have Kyle Vandenbosch and Steve Warren and Ralph Brown and Mike Brown. And we were ranked, I think we ended up finishing second in the country that year and probably one of the best defenses we've ever that had. That defense was I mean, ridiculous. My, and then Carlos Polk was Carlos like Polk. barking at me. Yeah. He would bark at me under under center. So I'd be sitting there and he's not, obviously not crossing the line of scrimmage, but he's right there. And – the linemen are freshmen and you don't have a really good firewall between you and Carlos Polk. <laughs> so I, I got, uh, I got beat up quite a bit, but one of the things that I was very proud of, I, you know, to, to me, I, I was a pretty intense football player and uh, my, I was on the scout team kind of those first two years, but I ended up getting uh, five, five scout team players of the week uh, during, during that course of time because I just wouldn't take their crap. So I gotten in a, in a lot of fights with the black shirts and had to run a lot of Man, stairs. That, I mean, I, I can tell you on the, on the south side of the stadium, there's 98 stairs. I, uh, <laughs> I I know the, I mean, I know rightfully so. Everybody talks about the Peter Wistrom era, but that defense yeah. had some dudes. Uh, funny, you mentioned Carlos Polk. Funny, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Barking, like funny, quick story. So, 1998, I'm in college. I went to a small college in Northwest Iowa, um, and and so this would have been while you were still in high school, I think, but. They played uh, Iowa State in Ames, and so I had friends who were in college in Minnesota, Nebraska, and Iowa. And we we're like, let's all let's all go to Ames. We got a friend back then. We were like, yeah, nine of us can sleep in his dorm room. That'll be fine. And so <laughs> we we all drive one to the bathtub, one <laughs> pretty much. And and it was and we all we were gonna go watch Nebraska and Ames. We go before the night before we go to Des Moines, and uh, the uh, what's it, what's it called? I can't remember the mall there. They got a movie theater there, and we we're gonna go see the movie Waterboy, which was. So we're gonna go out and see see the movie Waterboy, and we see all the, these buses. We see all these buses in front of it. So we're going to like the nine o'clock show. The seven o'clock show is leaving, and we realize, oh, they brought. I guess they brought these guys to a movie before the road game. I don't know if that was normal. Oh but, yeah, that's that's normal. Yeah, they yeah. took them to the mall, and so they're coming out of Waterboy, and here we are in in Des Moines. All these Husker fans, not wearing Husker gear or everything, and here comes, and we start realizing. I was like, oh yeah, hey, that's uh, you know, that that's Crouch, that's so and so. And uh, and Carlos Polk jumps out like I, he jumps out. He didn't know who I was from anyone, but he jumps out. And he goes like he's gonna scare me, <laughs> and I about like fall over backwards. Yeah, like he, so I can see exactly what you're saying. Oh, he's he's a character. He was actually super funny. Um, just well, oh yeah, and then Keo Craver's on that team. Probably one of the, oh, and Randy Stella too. 
Those two guys are probably the two of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, Carlos just had a fun personality. So I don't, it wasn't mean spirited, but he knew how to, how to intimidate a freshman. That's for sure. So the funny thing is I knew a couple of the walk-ons in that team because I had worked with them the -hmm. summer before for the Gaiman's Park, Gaiman Parks Commission. And like we saw him and they brought me up onto the bus. And so I'm sitting and I'm talking and, and Carlos Polk saw me up there after the fact. And those guys were, uh, they were like, uh, they were razzing him for that. So that was pretty, that was pretty oh, yeah. funny. How did you, yeah. did you, those are the good old days. Two injuries like that and switching positions, like, did it go through your mind? Let's just, you know, and getting in a very limited game time. It had to enter your mind a few times. Is this worth it? I mean, practice oh, had to be a grind. Yeah. No, it definitely did. Uh, I would, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I remember when, I, I knew when my foot popped that second time, I, I knew I'd bro- broken it because it was the same feeling, exact same spot, just different foot. And I'm going, I knew rehab was going to be just brutal. And, but I, I don't know, growing up, we, I, I'd gone through injuries in the past with even little, uh, um, you know, youth sports and youth football in high school. And I didn't realize that, like even through my senior year and, and, at Millard West, I had a stress fracture. I just had never broken anything yet. So I would take my foot up every day. And really until that 200 meters, I didn't, that was the first broken bone that I ever had. I just didn't know. I mean, it was tender. It hurt, but you know, you just kind of play through it. And then my, uh, yeah, I, I, and when I broke it that second time, well, it was a three times. So the second time on the right foot I I did, but I'm just not a quitter. And really growing up, we, we talked about that a lot. My dad talked about that a lot. It was just like, we don't quit. Lunchers don't quit. And uh, so it, it was very fleeting, but yeah, when it happened, I'm like, man, but ended up uh, finishing, coming back uh, my senior year, uh, playing a little bit and then ended up lettering. And that, that was, you know, the whole experience was worth it. It's part of just the journey. I mean, I think it's, it prepared me a lot to what's going on right now. Cause you get knocked down, you get back up, you get knocked down you get back up. Not a lot phases me anymore. Not a lot phases me from a, the, you know, I got Carlos Polk in my face. I'm not on right. debate stage. Nothing's intimidating. Right, but like, <laughs> there's know? never that big pay. Like you imagine doing it and I'm sure you're imagining, all right, there's going to be this moment, right? You know, my senior year, I'm going to send up the depth chart. I'm going to be out there starting. I'm going to like, like that has to go through your mind, and then at some point you realize, okay, this may not happen the way that I imagined it, right? That payoff, yeah, sure. like that payoff moment, or maybe you didn't think about it that way. I don't know. Um, I think it, by, by my senior year, there was having Jamal Lord there. It wasn't like I was going to start. I mean, I, I really I came to that. Plus, conclusion. he literally could—I've never seen anybody not get hurt like Jamal Lord. He might have been the most like if you were you were thinking, yeah. I'm well, going to crouch pump. too. I mean, Eric. So that's why. So my claim to fame was I started the spring game. I played on the the white team uh, and played every single snap for the white white team. So did you? you know, to me, that was that was a lot of fun. And then even the practice and my role, as I saw it, especially those first two years. And this is where I thought I, you know, getting the scout team players of the week. My job was to prepare the team to to win, and like I just knew my role, and I would do whatever I could every day to make sure that. They were prepared, and I, in my mind, is like I'm going to make this harder on them, so it makes the game easy. Mm-hmm. And that's how I approached it. And and you know, it got intense on the field. And that's we got into fights, and we, I mean, it was intense. I mean, people were taking helmets off, throwing them at each other. We we would. I got body slammed by Casey Nelson. I got 
And there's a lot hey, of, a lot he of came, stuff. He that came was, to that my was house just on, hel- uh, he came to my that house on Helmet's Day. He that came- wasn't even Pad's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I had a meeting with him a year ago about potentially doing siding on my house, and I'm glad it didn't get. Oh yeah, yeah, no, Casey's a good guy, but we're, and we all, you know, once you're off the field, we go to the training table. We're all friends, yeah, but sure, it is it's intense practice. Were you intense. were you on offense or defense in 2001? Um, or were, uh, were you playing during the year? Okay, so yeah, before the Oklahoma game, I'm not going to name a name, but there was a uh, a certain offensive player who ha- I went to uh, I went to law school with his brother. And he had told us that there was a trick play coming during that oh, game. Yeah. He told, but listen to this. Everybody knows what happened. But I knew he told his brother that, that you guys were working on the, the play, the, the crouch to stunts play. Yeah, it, was, it was black 41 flash reverse yeah. pass. But yeah. he said, he goes, Eric. I, I remember because I had, I charted it when, right before. <laughs> he said, crouch is going to throw a pass. Stunts is going to, and stunts is going to be out there. And we were like, no way. But then we were telling everybody, we were like, this is going to, if Twitter was around then, I would have ruined everything. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't beat Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. I could have, I could have <laughs> ruined it. But I noticed stunts started coming on the field for a couple of plays and he hadn't played the entire game in that drive. Or, the, like, or the, or the year. I mean, he, yeah. he hadn't played or the, I was, so I, I lived next door to Mike in, uh, in college. We had, we, a bunch of football guys lived in the duplex and there's one side, the other side. And Mike was there and, for a guy to come in and, and pull that playoff under the circumstances, cool. uh, it's it's super impressive. I mean, the play was complicated because you got Thunder Collins getting it, throwing it to Mike. Eric's rolling out, and he has to throw it, and he's left-handed, by the way. Yes. So that's kind of why the play worked is that everyone – the defense was shifted more towards the side, that uh, strong side versus the left, left-handed left um, throw. But he came in cold and, and pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, he hit him in stride. Awesome. Yeah, hit him in stride perfectly. And then Eric to even catch that. I mean, it was. I was. It was I, we uh the uh somehow the law school students had secured a great spot in student seating, so we were like we were up behind the band, so we had a great block of seats. But I've never had. I've been to hundreds of well, probably over a hundred games, but I have never had the experience that I had during that where. While the play happened, I traveled somehow in a crowd of people, about nine <laughs> rows down, and I don't know. It was it was insane. I mean, the reaction. I it's still one of the one of the best memories that I have in that stadium. We had a lot of good ones. I mean, I remember Josh Brown kicked a, a field goal to beat uh, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. I mean, we just it was just a lot of fun. Uh, and we went. I feel bad so bad for the guys now who. You go all year, and part of the payoff of going through all those things during the season, and you know it's it's tough. Uh, you're, you're doing it ten months out of the year. You're doing the winter conditioning, the summer conditioning, the the non mandatory mandatory conditioning, uh, and, and you get to the end of the season. And part of that is going to the bowl games, which is fun. And then the last year, so we, I, you know, I went to a bowl game every year. We went to the national title game in in uh, Pasadena and. That was awesome. That was one of the best experiences ever. Uh, Rose Bowl started, yeah. (laughs) Crouch is about the only. I still think that game. Jonathan Vilma almost decapitating Ben Zaychek on that. Like (laughs) that is my memory of that game. Yeah, I see Ben pretty often actually to this day. His uh, son and my son play sports, or they did. Is he okay? He's okay. He's recovering. He's doing no. He's doing fine. (laughs) Head's still on. He's doing all right, but I, I, I still run into some of those guys. Actually, I just got a text from one of the guys I played with 
he's out in Holdridge and wanted to put some signs up. So that was <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, it, it's a, you know it's a community. It's the the walk on community, the Husker community. But yeah, they've done a better job over the years of bringing in the Letterman um, to either do golf tournaments or do some different things. Like Josh Davis has kind of helped put some of those things together with Steve Glenn and Red Baron mm-hmm. and those. So we've they're, they're trying to bring it back. But now you think look at the freshmen. They weren't even born when Nebraska yeah. was good, yeah. right? There's no – we're not going to sell that. We're not going to sell that era to, to any of them no. anymore. It's just real. No. It's real. I mean, I got a, I have a 16-year-old son, and some, 17. He's somehow stuck through everything. But I, like, ask him, and, and I'm like, you know, what's your, what's your favorite Husker memory? And he's like, that, that Northwestern Hail Mary probably. And like, it's like – he doesn't. He hasn't. Expe- yeah. He hasn't experienced like the fun of winning. It, it, it yeah. and somehow he's stuck through, but his friends haven't. Like his friends haven't at all. There. It used to be when I was in high school, and probably when you were in high school. Like there was a game on. We were all together. Everybody, everybody, guys, girls, everybody. We were getting yeah. together at somebody's house and, and watching it. Oh yeah, no, we did it, and I, I'll never, never forget the the uh, the catch, right? The Missouri. Yep. Catch. I was with my high school buddies watching that. I mean, yeah. the, we'll get, you know, people ask me every year, how are we going to be? How are we going to be? And every year I say, yeah, we're, you know, this is the year we're going to turn it around. But I do think of all the, this year with the transfer portal, it seemed like it finally worked out in our favor this year. Yeah. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to the spring game. Uh, is that uh, a week from today? It's Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I don't know when this will air, but it's Saturday. Oh night. yeah. So Saturday, yeah. whatever the night. Yep. Is it the ninth? Yep. A week yeah, from, uh, yeah, the ninth it happened. Hey, how's your, is your, how, How's your family dealing with this? Just everything now. Um, you know, n- not only obviously campaigning and 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 you've been through it before, but this is kind of a different yeah. level. And then the potential that like life t- totally changes in a different way in a few months. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I just try to take it one day at a time. Not get ahead of myself on the outcome. More about what can I do today to impact the outcome. But the the, the family's handled it well. I have a 10 year old and eight year old and five year old. And so they're still young enough where they, they like doing these things. You know, if I was had a teenager or high school or college, probably not as much. Um, but they like doing the parades and they, they enjoy that. Actually I'm sitting in the, my campaign office um, and there are my five year olds putting together signs right outside the door. Cool. So she's doing that and we make it work. My in-laws are in town. My parents are in town. So it's a balance of that. Um, my wife's handling it fine and we're in the home stretch here. I did promise the kids a dog. So I have to get them a dog oh, after God. that and, boy. I don't know about that, that Brett. <laughs> well, I, I don't want a puppy. That's the one thing I, I, I don't think I can handle a puppy, but maybe a year or two old dog. So I did. So they keep looking into what type of dog they want. And then I owe my wife probably several trips. So last night I was looking at some of those things. I said, where do you want to go? She's like, how about Tahiti or Fiji? I'm like, whatever you want. So I'll make, I'll try to make it up for him here after yeah, May 10th. But no, everything's no, it's, it's been good. We, it, it's like, it, it's kind of just controlled chaos and you just take it one step at a time and we got support around us. So it's, it's been very, very positive. You'll get, you'll get a kick out of this story. So a couple of nights ago, I'm doing the, uh, I'm a spotter for the auction, Lincoln Independent Business Association auction, and mm-hmm. uh, they, um, they and they have a bunch of donated things. This one is huge live auctions. They do all these stuff, and people donate all these packages, and and Herbster is there, and they put up a pillin half a hog 
from his farm. And Herbster gets into a bidding war. And he's he's sitting there in his cowboy hat, sitting in his cowboy hat, raising up his sign, keep he bidding up the pill and thing, and finally he wins. And somebody from the other side of the room, like, really wanted that hog. They were like, "Man, I could use all that bacon." And I see Pillin over there, or Herbster over there, raising it up. He ends up getting it. I just I just want to be a fly on the wall when he goes out to uh, Fall City or wherever it was and, and picks that thing up. <laughs> oh. Well, Miss Phil and Embree have to go to Columbus to pick that. Uh, one. Columbus, yeah, that is, yeah, that's right. That is, gotta, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear that story. Yeah, I was there. I was, I was there for the whole thing. So I thought you might, uh, <laughs> you might get a kick out of it. Well, I'm gonna be respectful, uh, respectful of your time, Brett. It was really, uh, it was cool of you doing this. I suppose I should call you Senator, but um, uh, you call me Brett. I, I, I appreciate I caught up in that that deal. By the way, you're, uh, you were, you coach your kids' sports too. Have you? Uh, do you, you you still doing that, or have you have you uh, taken a break for that? What what? Uh, what? I, I took a, I took a break in the fall this this past fall because I just couldn't I wouldn't I, you know practices. There's about three yeah. or four practices a week. But yeah, in the, in the past I've coached. Are we football, basketball, coaching. soccer? What are we talking here? I don't know anything about basketball. I've helped with soccer, but I know football, so I I do the the football and I'll sub in to help with other things when necessary. Okay. Uh, my daughters do dance, so I'm not really me too doing any of that but i've got uh, no i mean I, so i think this this fall i'll probably get back into it one way or another and help um but no i really enjoy i, I enjoy coaching that was actually right out of college to try to relieve the when, when you get done with football it's a little bit of a, a challenge to leave the competitiveness of that and so i coached 11 12 year old football for a number of years um out in millard area and that was a lot of fun just doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something to keep me the competitive thing going in me that, that I like. So no, I, I enjoy that and I'll continue to do that. Um, from here on. Uh, I don't know if you've been through one of the notorious uh, six hour dance recitals yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I've I like your sitting through filibusters might be, you know, uh, I mean, it's great when your own kid is up there. Uh, don't get yeah. me wrong. It's awesome. Those 90 seconds of the six hours that your kid is up there. <laughs> Amazing tears I know in your it eyes, well. and the rest of it is like, please end. I know it well. I know it very, very well. My, well. I grew up, you know, like my sister did a lot of that. They've done a better job with my daughter, so they'll do it in more of a uh, segments. They'll have like a morning session and an afternoon they session. They started that with COVID in ours, but I think they're going. Yeah, back. they're going to keep it because it, it shortened it up by about half. It was a delight. Yeah, it, it was. was a real I, treat for me. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm happy when my daughter's up there, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, it can get a little little long. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my good man! I had a bunch of legislative stuff I was going to talk about too. I, you know, we can get I, to I, it. No, I want, I'd like to come back on and talk more Pearl Jam at some point here. Yeah, we'll just have to dedicate a whole hour to that. Ab- absolutely, yeah, <laughs> uh, no doubt about it. Um, well, hey, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I appreciate it. It was cool to get to know you a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll talk again down the line, and uh, yeah, we'll. We'll come on and uh, and talk other stuff again. Best luck with the campaign. No, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun. And yeah, let's do this again. And that's it for episode one of the Jack Mitchell podcast. Join us next Thursday when we're joined by University of Nebraska student, journalist, and congressional candidate, Jazari Qual. Until next time, have a good one.